Hey, everybody. I just ran all the way over here. I wanted to let you know that because of all the social distancing stuff. Sorry, I was being chased by bees. My God. Should not have worn this floral print. Because of the social distancing, we're having to do another quarantine episode. And since a lot of people were having to work from home, or even worse, people were either laid off or furloughed, or were in a different situation from usual, we figured to share some great stories about the normal times of work and kind of the crazy foibles that might that we might run into in that situation. So grab yourself a drink and, oh my god, the swarm! The swarm! Go after the queen! Go after the queen! It's useless to attack the drones! Can I freeze my tampons? A Mexican jumping bean's really Mexican. If I ate a $5 footlong and I threw up, the subway owed me $5. If leprechauns are really Irish, then why are they so small? Do Mexican jumping beans really jump? Is tort reform about tortillas? If Sean Penn doesn't think there were any weapons of mass destruction, then why is he gay? What if Avi Feierstein was the captain of a British frigate? Man the missing mess. Shit Face to Face, the podcast where we ask the important questions. What's going on in a particular topic? And then we get hammered and try to explain it to another person and see how that goes. It's everything you ever wanted to know, but we're too sober to ask. I was working a couple years ago at a vet clinic and it was a regular occurrence that I would see dogs and cats for treatment for flea infestations and um, it was usually straightforward but a couple of times there were some really odd characters and one stands out in particular. I saw someone for fleas on his dog and his dog was very nice. He seemed like a kind, normal guy except for his outfit. He had thick Coke bottle glasses and was wearing fuzzy blue toe socks with flip-flops. So aside from that, everything went well. I explained to him that, you know, we would treat the fleas with something topical or a pill based on the dog's size and it would take a while to get them out of the house, but eventually we would work through it. And he explained to me that he just was really frustrated and he did not think that that was going to work. So I said, why do you think that's not going to work? And he said, well, let me tell you something, little lady. Every day I wake up and I get down in the carpet with my magnifying glass and I look and I count the fleas one by one and I've been counting them. And every morning I lose count. So I've got no reason to believe that they're going anywhere. I think they're in the same numbers every day and there's nothing we could do. So I told him, well, he didn't need to be counting the fleas. Everything was fine. That was really unnecessary and inefficient and they're gonna be taken care of. Don't worry about it. So he said, all right, well, I guess I'll trust you, but I wanna get something straight. The last time a vet gave me flea medicine, they gave my dog a flea collar and I don't want a flea collar. And I said, okay, I won't give you a flea collar he said, do you know why I don't want that flea collar? I said, no, why? He said, because the last time I used it on my dog, I went to the bathroom afterwards and my foreskin fell off. And I don't want that to happen again.
When I was in high school, the first job I had was working at an old folks home that was only about a five to ten minute walk away from my house. I grew up in a town that at one point was part of the oldest voter district in the country. Within walking distance of my house were three different retirement homes. I worked at what was considered to be the worst of the three. Um, I had gotten a job through a buddy of mine, and I was 14, no, I was 15 years old, and I got a job there, and I had only ever used kind of the back entrance because I would go with him when he was going to work, and I would kind of bother the lady who was the kitchen manager to essentially give me a job. This was, uh, at the time, I was going to be making a few bucks more than minimum wage, working super close to my house, working with some friends from high school, and this was going to be awesome. So they give me the job, I fill out the paperwork, and um, on my very first day, I run into the issue of I don't want to just go to the back because I felt that uh, I should go through the front door um, properly, which is not how I should have done that at all, but I thought, okay, I'll go through the front door. The issue was it was kind of like a maze inside, and I didn't exactly know where I was going. I said hello to the person at the front desk. I told them what I was doing. They were like, all right, head on back. Okay. And I don't want to say, well, I don't really know how to get there from here because that'll make me look like an idiot. So instead, I just kind of wandered around and... There were quite a lot of older folks there, including some folks with uh, dementia. And um, as I kind of rounded a corner to head to the kitchen, an old woman just looked up at me from her chair. She was sitting at like a corner, not really around any kind of door or anything that would make sense for why she was sitting there. And she just looked at me and I looked at her and she said, are you here to shave me? Hi, my name is Marisa, and today I'm going to tell you a little bit about weird stuff that I found in hotel rooms while I was a manager living on property. This hotel was an extended stay, so you could rent by the day or you could rent by the week, and a lot of people paid monthly. So it was full of different characters, and I lived on property as the on-property manager, so I was there every single day. People knew me. I mean, it, it was a little crazy there. As far as like the weirdest things that I found there was uh, while I was uh, upstairs one night, I got a phone call from the front desk saying that there was a guest that needed to speak with me and it was urgent. And I normally didn't take calls like that, but I felt like, okay, this is a problem. I need to talk to these people. There was this really nice couple that had checked into one of our smallest rooms for a week. They were in town from Sweden. And they were like, this was part of their American trip, you know? I talked to them on the phone and the lady just says, we found something in our room. I just need you to come and look at it. So I'm like, all right, put on my clothes, go down to this person's room. And I walk in and this nice couple said, we dropped something and it fell behind the mini fridge. And we moved the mini fridge and we found this thing behind it. I I moved this this thing and um, behind the fridge is a cucumber and it was wrapped in a condom and it was like so old it was like like juicy and like half like like putrefied you know what I mean like it, cucumber the, condom. the cucumber inside of the condom I mean it was like basically rotten so it had been behind the fridge for probably like quite a minute and How did it taste? 
so anyways, um, I apologize to the people. I give them back like one night of their stay because I felt so bad. And I kept it because the next day we had these um, housekeeper meetings and I had to be like, yo, y'all need to look behind the fridges when you clean us, you know, because look what I found. <laughs> so, yes. And that wasn't the only time we had to have uh, housekeeper meetings and show them. So at the time I had a, a manager that was living there also briefly and her name was Tamika. And she's like, I want you all to take a look at this and told us all to put on gloves and handed us a Bible. And the first girl opens the Bible and inside of the Bible is human feces. <laughs> and we had a guy staying upstairs and again, one of the smallest rooms and his mom would pay like monthly for him. He would kind of be like kind of almost yelling at the staff sometimes and he would never let us clean his room so we just sort of you know stayed away from him as long as he paid on time I never really had any issues when his since his mom paid again no issues so he finally checked out and Tamika grabbed me and she's like I want you to come see his room and she was like this is why we need to have like at least once a week checks even if they don't let us um you know clean the room so we went into this room and this guy had smeared poop all over the walls in this room. And he, he'd drawn like um, pentagrams and like written on like sheets of paper in the Bible that was like, the devil is in me. And like all this crazy like satanic shit. And he was literally like, I am the devil. I am the devil and I will kill you. And pills everywhere, like, and just poop everywhere. So yeah, that was the second time that we had to have a housekeeper meeting because now at that point we we're like well now we have to check every single bible in this entire like 200 room hotel because now we don't know you know you just don't think like hey when i'm cleaning let me check inside the bible but that's why you should always check inside your bible because there could be poop in it um, <laughs> so one of the other funny things i found was um when i was alone um because i was the only manager at for most of the time they would send in traveling managers to come in and help out so that I wasn't working like seven days a week, you know, every single hour in addition to living there. So they sent a, a girl named Christine in to help me manage and she we became really good friends. So she had one of the king rooms. It was like one of the biggest rooms and we'd hang out all the time when we like weren't working. And she leaves and they send her like after two or three months, they send her on her new assignment, like back to like Vegas or something. So she calls me and it was like early in the morning because housekeepers would probably go in the room around like 11 or 12 ish, as long as, you know, people were checked out basically. And she calls me and she's like, have the housekeepers gone to my room yet? And I said, I don't know, I can go check. So like I go and I, I go down to her room and she's like, I left my vibrator in my bed. And I'm like, Oh my God, Christine. I'm like, that's hilarious. And she was like, you need to get it. I don't want them to see it. That's so embarrassing. And I'm like, um, that's really funny, but yes. So I go in her room and I like search through all of her sheets and there it is like wrapped up, <laughs> like in the sheets is like one of those big, um, like rabbits, you know, that has like a bunch of random moving parts that move all on their own and stuff. I thought it was hilarious. She didn't think it was very funny, but I ended up gift wrapping it to her and sending it to her new hotel and like, <laughs> like making it look all pretty and stuff and being like happy christmas <laughs> you know like but the last thing that i found that was probably the most scary thing that i found and meth smells like uh, burnt rubber and i would not have known that if i didn't work in this hotel but it happened quite a lot so one day we had the housekeepers had called and said hey room like 306 one of the big king rooms we can't get in and they're supposed to be checked out 
So of course I'm like banging on the door, you know, we can't tell if somebody's actually in the room or not, but it definitely smelled like burnt rubber. And I was like, oh man, this, this room smells bad. Like maybe they accidentally left because the, they had latches. So it was like, oh, maybe they accidentally left the latch on the door, but that would rarely happen. You'd have to like really slam the door. So I had to have my maintenance guy come in and like cut the, the lock off with like bolt cutters. And I walk in and the entire room is trashed, like shit's upside down. There's definitely like crack pipes like laying around on the floor. There was needles, there was like leftover like weird powder everywhere. It was clear they were having a party. This front room was kind of kind of more like a living room area. And then there were these two double doors that led into the room with the bathroom and the, and the king size bed. So I open up the doors to the bathroom and the king size bed area and there's this girl and she's naked and she's like laying face down on the bed. So my immediate thought is like, oh my God, this girl is dead. She like died from like a meth overdose or something and now we've got a dead girl in our room. So me and the um, the maintenance guy, we were like yelling we're like, hey, hey, can you hear us? Wake up. And this guy, he was so funny, he had like a super thick accent. He was like, she's dead, she's dead, it's a dead girl. And I was like, oh my God, please don't say that. And so I'm like, get me something to poke her with and <laughs> maybe she'll like move. So we grabbed- several vibrators we found. <laughs> we grabbed like, um, I don't know, some, something. And we just kind of like lightly like kind of tapped her on her thigh like okay well maybe she'll feel that and she did not move at all and i'm like had my phone in my hand ready to call the police and she he taps her like one more time and she gets up so fast and she was like like screaming and i'm like oh my god oh my god i'm like what is happening and she was like oh my god and she starts bawling crying and she's like where is everybody where are they they left me they left me and i looked at her and i was like you need to put your clothes on and you get the fuck out of here before i call the police and she was just like Please, I call the police. Please, I call the police. And she gets up so fast and starts like just gathering all her shit, like throws on a t-shirt and just like bolts out of the room and <laughs> runs. So just to introduce myself, I work in the TV and film industry, um, and I've worked on a variety of projects, um, but this was one of the very early projects that I worked on um, back in 2012 when I was um, 23 years old, I believe, um, just getting started. I was a production assistant on the feature film Her, um, the one about the... Um, the guy that falls in love with his cell phone um, operating system. And I worked in the wardrobe department. And, and this was just about the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me uh, up until that point in my life. I was obsessed with the director, Spike Jones. Um, he was one of my favorites. I had worked on a few other things with the costume designer, some commercials, and I begged I just begged to work on this project, uh, making almost no money. It was crazy for how many hours I worked. But anyway, um, so I show up the first day of work um, at this place called Hollywood Center Studios, and it's just this big like studio lot, and I go to, to where they have the wardrobe department. Um, and just so you know, a wardrobe department requires a lot of space because you got your not just 
dressing like the principal people, like the main actors. You're also dressing the background actors. This whole movie had a very specific look, so we needed a lot of space. And um, the only place, I guess, that they had enough space that wasn't kind of like the prime real estate was this like basement um, set that used to be a morgue set for some old television show probably like in the early 2000s um but it was like this kind of big warehouse completely white white ceiling white walls white floor a whole door like a whole side of the wall was just those morgue freezer doors where you like could open it up and and kind of take out like a prop uh (laughs) gurney um and there were literally like gurneys and different medical equipment things all over the place that we just kind of because it was no longer used as a morgue used as just tables and things but like (laughs) so the whole backdrop of uh working on this for like five months was being in this fluorescent lit morgue um and anyway so our i think the first week that I was there, we did some fittings um, with the main talent, and I will never forget one of the fittings that we did. Uh, mind you, I was very eager, very scared, nervous that I would mess up in any way, um, but we were doing a fitting with Joaquin Phoenix, the lead actor, um, where I just, like, really... He came down to the morgue set, um there were the whole the whole department there like five of us um and did the fitting it went well I like writ like the one thing you have to kind of know about working on movies especially when you're lower level is you do not try to talk to the talent like you have you really have to wait until they talk to you if you weird them out in any way if you like tell a bad joke if you like catch them in a weird moment um if they just kind of get a weird vibe from you they won't want you there and they will just tell you tell your boss um hey like that person has weird energy um like i just don't really want them around and I will say that 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 didn't happen to me on that movie, but it I did see it happen to a handful of other people, and that's a very common thing that happens. So I was just like, talent. I I'm like not trying to show off. I'm trying to stay under the radar. Anyway, we do that. Um, we do that fitting, and then. Because we're underground in a basement in the morgue set, there's no cell phone reception and a huge part of my job is just like calling rent, like wardrobe houses and different stores. And so I have to go outside to uh, make a phone call and I'm standing outside of the morgue door and talking on the phone, just kind of minding my own business. And all of a sudden a face is like about two inches from my ear whispering in my ear what are you doing here and I don't even turn my head I just glance to the left uh with my eyeballs out of my periphery and it's Joaquin Phoenix his face right next to my face uh asking me what I'm doing here and I just kind of nervously say um I'm making a phone call and he's like why are you making a phone call right here? And I was like, um, 
because I, there's no reception in the morgue set. Um, so I have to come out to make phone calls. And he was like, well, didn't you see that I was right here? And I was like, um, no, I didn't see you. Uh, and then he just kind of pulls away and walks away. Um, <laughs> he didn't tell me like, don't talk on the phone. I, you know, I guess he was there, but I like didn't see, I didn't see that he was there. <laughs> anyway, that was a major faux pas. Um, and I was real scared after that. Like, oh my God, I talked on the phone close to him. All right, my name's David. I'm telling a story. It's not a very funny one, but I thought it was interesting. It's the only interesting one I could think of. I have a string of very boring jobs, including this one. This one was one where I edited reports and videos for uh, court cases. I used my English degree, I guess, but still very, very boring. There was about 20 to 30 of us when I started. We're in like a little cubicle room by ourselves. And the way it worked is everyone kind of had like a big pool of cases we're supposed to be working from. And we had a manager and a team lead who kind of took turns assigning them to everybody based on question mark, whatever they wanted. I guess after I was done all my training stuff that the company was actually bought by a bigger company and they had an office maybe like 200-ish miles away in another major city, sort of close to us. And almost the first thing they did was fire basically all the managers, um, including our manager, and also the team lead took his job afterward as the manager. He left almost right after that. I think he was scared of getting fired too. So we, we were left in this uh, interesting situation. Most of the managers, the team lead left, and our little cubicle room was like half staff, basically. And um, yeah, we were left in this kind of unique situation where all of us like self-managing ourselves, which was interesting. doesn't happen very often in corporate stuff. And it turned out we became way more efficient at everything because we picked the assignments that we were good at and then kind of the hard ones were left for the end of the day. And I don't know if it was just like this group of people or what, but we kind of pretty fairly would volunteer for the harder ones that were left. Like, oh, I had a hard one yesterday, so I wouldn't do it, but someone else would do it, like would volunteer for that. And it was always like really fair. I don't think, at least I didn't have any problems, but maybe that means I was the asshole, who knows. But yeah, we, like I said, it made us way more efficient, so efficient that we basically every day we're finishing like three to four hours early in our eight hour shift. So we kind of just hung out and like chatted and we played all these different card games. We're chatting, sending memes, just, goofing off basically and getting to know each other I guess there I remember there was one minor conflict at one point because there was this like older lady not super old but she was really always angry and salty at this her cubicle neighbor who was always like chatting for half the day and this third person kind of came in like one of the other co-workers to conflict resolution this out she's like you're chatting all the time and it's just giving me this terrible headache at the end of the day and I just can't even stand you just talking nonstop for the last two or three hours of the day and 
they kind of dug into that and she's like oh well it's these fluorescent lights all the time they just I can't stand it it's like all day giving me a headache this light's just so bright it just doesn't affects me weird I can't deal with it and they're like oh well is everyone okay if we just turn off these fluorescent lights we have these floor to ceiling windows we can just open the blinds and let the natural daylight in which we all were like yes of course that sounds great everyone agrees to that awesome and for the like the forever after that we just kind of always had the lights out and this this older lady that kind of was always cranky and mad was super happy then she's like i'll play a game with you you kids let me what are you playing let me learn this so yeah it was kind of awesome and i think we were playing like a harry potter clue on the floor like in the carpet between the cubicles at one point and i'm just like wow you know what looking back on this without these managers we've just accidentally created this our anarchist utopia in this corporate setting it was bizarre but you know couldn't last i think a couple months of that they kind of i think someone higher up did the paperwork and figured out that we were finishing everything in half the time way too efficient why are they paying all these people so they fired like basically everybody but me and one or two other people and then shortly after that they realized the entire office was wasting too much money so they all sent us home to work from home but for those like two or three months it was it was pretty magical are you a person with a big nose and a busted bunch of teeth in the past have people referred to you as a butterface well guess what this is your time to shine Now more than ever, it's acceptable for people to wear masks obscuring their noses and mouths. And now it's time for you to get yours. I don't care what you look like. It's time for you to be the Arabian princess in a Bugs Bunny cartoon and get the person you want. That's right. It's me, Conundrum. Ever heard of me? Oh yeah, that's right. You hadn't because I was too busy getting laid. For the last 15 years, I've been developing these patent-pending foolproof techniques in order to woo someone with only your eyes and head movements. With my trademark mask to asked technique, you will score. Is it a book? No way. What am I, a nerd? It's a video series teaching you my patented techniques. Techniques like the Persian pucker, the Delaware double, the Peruvian pout, the Arabian underbite, the hot ham salad, the Lithuanian lash lift, and the Father McGregor. Oh yeah. Call now and you'll also receive never before release techniques, including the downward facing DiCaprio, the doe-eyed dump truck, the no nostrils, no nonsense, and the Tim Curry, but black. Why spend money on braces or rhinoplasty when no one's gonna see that? And hell, you're horny now. You need to get yours. Call me. People say that it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It's on the inside that really counts. People say just be yourself. Well, those people are lame and they never get laid. Conundrum knows exactly what you got to do to get yours. So call me now. Six easy payments of $3.99. Call 555-341-555. For the win! One Saturday, I was working at the vet clinic. Pretty calm day. Saturdays were not busy. Saturday early mornings, that is. It's usually just a limited staff. It was myself, a technician, and one receptionist. And I usually stayed in the back just to get my exams done for the day. But on a rare occasion, a receptionist might have an issue that 
they needed help with up at the front. Um, and so on this particular day, the receptionist did come back and get me and she said, we're having an issue with a client up front who's complaining about some prices. So I said, all right, I'll be right up there to help you. I figured since she was coming back and getting me that it was prices related to medical services, but it wasn't. So I went up there and asked the gentleman if I could help clear anything up. And he said, I want to know where you think you have the right to overcharge for this. And I said, what are you referring to? So he pointed to a shelf where we sold some product. So he said, well, they got these same things in the grocery store and they're way cheaper. And I said, I've never seen those in the grocery store. That's just a little company that sells to, um, you know, animal related businesses. And he said, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about, but I've seen these same things in the grocery store. And they usually got them on sale, like two for five or something. And I said, okay, well, then, you know, you don't have to buy them. And he said, and it looks all crummy. I open the top and it's all hard and crusty. When I look at the Tostitos dip that's in the grocery store, I open it up and it's a soft dip. How am I supposed to dip a chip in here? I said, well, you're not supposed to because it's a candle. So he said, what? This is a candle? I thought this was Tostitos queso. I said, no, sir, that's not chip dip. That's a candle. Well, then how come it's orange? Well, it's marigold scented. He said, oh, well, then I'll take two. So my story is about uh, a guy I used to work with who for the purposes of this podcast will be called Jamie. Um, and I used to work with him at my uh, current job. Uh, this guy, Jamie, is your typical just maybe like five, seven, um, 300 pounds, just very round guy with um, kind of like a car, used car salesman, just like, hey, oh, you need that? Oh, we don't have, you know, in his head, oh, we don't have that. But in reality, like, oh, yeah, we have that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll do whatever you want. Just come on over. You know, that's kind of salesman he was. And it got us into a lot of trouble throughout his uh, tenure. Um, but going back a few years earlier from this story, he, he worked for us as a uh, as in our sales department. And so the first weird thing he did was um, we get this we get this big email from our IT department saying, hello, everyone in the Orlando branch, if you are, and then in computer terms said, if you're illegally downloading movies, please stop doing it immediately. We're doing an audit of all your computers. And uh, about a week later, we found out it was <laughs> And the movie, the movie he had downloaded that got him in trouble was Men in Black 2. <laughs> yeah, I don't... It was just a big, you know, he likes his callbacks, I guess. But uh, so he got in trouble for that. And I kid, I'm not kidding. About two weeks later, this uh, friend of mine I work with who's gay, she comes into work. And uh, Jody's like, hey, hey, come here, come here. Check this out. And he uh, flat out has lesbian porno. Like, it, she said, like, not even stuff she would watch on on his computer. And he's like, what do you think of that? And 
and she's like kind of just smiles and walks away uh and you know she's 22 years old complete you know doesn't know what to do doesn't do anything ultimately so no one ever learns that until years later but uh so if while he's working with us um they go to this sales conference in philadelphia and he gets completely obliterated at some event and just sort of like he like stumbles back to his hotel room. Luckily, the event was like at the hotel at the hotel, so it was in the um, in the the ballroom there, uh, or at least on the campus or whatever. So he goes in there and he um, he sits in the lobby to like chill out for a second and just absolutely passes out. And so the way it was described to me, and again, he's very he's not very tall, and this chair was slightly tall, er, and so he's sitting upright. Um, God, what's the right way to describe this? What would you describe, like, it? it's almost like he was made out of two very weird ball gears, or two two spherical gears that meet with one another, but essentially his stomach, because there's a photo of him, I'm sorry, I didn't mention this, this photo was taken of him. Um, he's got this completely huge stomach that stops abruptly up at his, uh, his upper chest, and there's some slight... Slight roundage there for his boobs, and then everything just sort of... What's the shape that's a triangle, but it's flat at the top? A, tra- a trapezoid? Sure. A, tra- a trapezoid or a... I don't know, but, like, everything sort of tapers up toward his head, and then it's a and then it's a square. He's very, um... I don't know, we should get some drawings going for... for the... So he looked like a snow. He looked like a snowman, but at the head they like decided to use some straight lines. I guess if you just very carefully organized a pile of garbage bags full of rags, like you could probably you could probably make this. But anyway, I would say that even if he was a very nice person. But anyway, so he sits up straight, and his feet aren't touching the ground either. They're just like about an inch off the ground, which is just funny by itself, but he passes out in the lobby. Everyone else leaves this luncheon or this, uh, I'm sorry, not luncheon, but uh, this dinner, and they just walk past him. And the whole time the, um, the hotel staff is just asking everyone that comes by, hey, do you know who he is? And they're like, oh yeah, that's Jamie. Yeah, that's Jamie. And no one, but no one knew where he was or knew his phone number, so no one, so no one could help him. So he stayed in the lobby um, for... I think they said, I think it was six hours. He just slept upright, snoring in the lobby. Um, they, they had changed shifts, I believe, in the, the lobby people had, uh, the front desk had changed shifts in that time, so they had to, like, pass over his custody. But anyway, so that happened. That ended. No one said a word. So, uh, flash forward, he, uh, in the, in the following years, he's left the company company changes and then he comes back to the company um on you know who's then now we're under new management they don't know anything about his history with us and so basically the whole problem starts all over again um i'm supposed to work with him right and i offer somebody a quote one of his clients i'm like hey we have this we can do this for you for for 10 grand and they're like oh that's a little bit high Uh, and they're like we have a quote from your competitor for, you know, 20% of that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's no way we can match that. That's 
20, that's an 80% difference. There's no way. And so, uh, Jamie chimes in, okay, we'll match it. Just send us, send us their quote. And so I was, I thought that was concerning. So I sent it off to my boss. Uh, long story short, Jamie finds out and he calls me directly and gives me, and he's obviously very intoxicated. What the, who the fuck do you think you are questioning me? I know what I'm doing and if I, if they knew how much stuff you fucked up, you'd be fired by now. Fuck you. And, uh, so, um, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry, dude. Uh, I had to question it because it didn't make any sense. He's like, if, uh, you, what, who the hell do you think you are? And so I, uh, ended up hanging up the phone on him. A little while later, he calls me back. And he tries to uh, inform me that he's my boss, and that everything that he says goes through him, which is was completely untrue. So I went to HR and complained about it. Um, went through this whole thing, had to do like all the HR stuff that doesn't mean anything. You know, you go through classes and you talk and you blah blah blah, and nothing happens. But anyway, Jamie gets off, no problem. <laughs> um, flash forward to our current sales. Uh, conference about a month later well this is this was this guy's time to shine um, not only had he just been running a deficit in his expenses versus how much he's brought in uh, he gets completely obliterated at a company dinner um, to the point where he's uh, he apparently like groped some woman that we all work with and so she's like immediately disgusted. I don't even know what the groping was. I think it was, uh, who knows what it was, but he's gross. Uh, and then he goes, so one of our bosses walks up is like, hey, Jamie, why don't you chill out for a bit? And he says, kiss my dick. So he says, kiss my dick. And um, they're like, okay. And then another one of our bosses goes over and tells them to, put his drink down and go back to his room. And so he's like, oh, this drink? And he throws the drink across the room, like in a, it's like so melodramatic. The Tennessee Williams play. Right, yeah, like, never! It just reminds me of like, like ripping a photo in half or something like that, but way less, for way less purpose. Anyway, he ends up, uh, so they get him back to his room. Um, the next day he wakes up all bright and shiny, uh, no problem at all, walks down to the, uh, the breakfast, and, uh, apparently he starts to get, he gets in line next to the woman that he had groped without even thinking twice about it, and then someone intercepted him, and then, uh, no one ever saw him again until Florida, and, uh, at which point he was asked to resign. So when I was working at uh, the Science Center, which is a giant interactive science museum with exhibits and experiments and classes and things like that, uh, I was working there. My job, essentially, on a day-to-day -day was to, A, do experiments with kids, but also to teach classes. So I was set to teach, you get a schedule, so you could be teaching any grade level from like kindergarten well, I would do pre-K, so like pre-K to like 12th grade. 
So it was usually elementary school kids, sometimes middle school kids. And I had a group of, I think they were second or third graders coming in. So your schedule tells you, okay, here's what grade level, here's what school they're from, uh, and here's the experiments and classes you'll be teaching with them based on different um, scientific theories and things like that, whatever the topic was for the day. So before you can start teaching your class, which we would do a lot of them on the exhibit floors where the general public would run around and everyone's being crazy with their kid, uh, we would have to rope off part of the, the floor in the exhibits because that's where we would teach our classes. We would use parts of the exhibit and different things around and props from the back to teach kids about things on the actual exhibit floor, like among other guests. So you have to go and you have to rope it off. I think the rule was half an hour before your class. So you go with like the special sign that says, hey, please don't sit here. Okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a class. And, you know, you shoo anybody out that is playing there at the moment, which not everyone likes. So I go one day, uh, half an hour before my class is supposed to arrive, and I'm supposed to rope off uh, a part of the exhibit where it's got magnetic walls, where you learn about gravity and things like that. Uh, and using magnets and force and all that good stuff. So I had to rope it off and there's just a man, like a middle-aged guy just sitting on the bench that's in the middle of the exhibit, which is where the kids sit when we teach them. So I go up to him, he's like, classic tourist, by the way. Like you could tell he was not from here. Like he, he had the tourist look. And I walked up and I said, hi, excuse me, in that like really nice voice where I'm telling you what to do. Like, hi, excuse me, I'm so sorry, but I actually have to rope this off. I'm about to teach a class um, in about 30 minutes, and we're going to have, you know, kids here. And he looks at me, he thought I was, no. So I was like, okay, well, this space is actually going to be reserved for a class. And, like, I gestured to the sign and, like, the little ropes that I had to put up. And I was like, this is, you know, legitimately, like, a, a thing. Like, people are going to be here. And he was like, no, I paid to get in here, and I'm, I'm going to sit here. So I just said, okay, and I took a deep breath and I put the sign up and everything still so like everyone else would know. So this guy's basically isolated by himself. He didn't have any kids near him any either. Like, I don't know if he was there with kids or his family or what, but he was just by himself in like the roped off zone at, in the corner of the science center. So I go to get my class, like my class showed up like right then. I walk them in a line to the corner of the exhibit where we're going to do our our lab and um this this middle-aged man is in the middle of the bench and they're like second or third grades they're pretty small <laughs> and with like i walked up like a smart ass with a big flourish i like pulled the rope and i pulled the sign i said welcome everybody we're gonna have so much fun with physics today yeah and i got everyone hyped up which i don't usually do but i'm like let's go let's hear it for science like being an obnoxious asshole um, and I was like, all right, friends, let's gather around. So I want some of you to sit on the floor and you, 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 and you to sit on the bench. And I literally put kids around this, this dude. Like I surrounded him with group of just second or third graders, just all over. And there were a lot of them too, because we would like combine classes. So there were probably like, th <laughs> like 35 <laughs> second or third graders surrounding this dude and I deliberately like put them on all sides of him and like on the floor directly in front of his feet and I had a couple kids like looking around and like a couple of them like looked up at that guy and I said oh don't worry about it we just have a special guest today and this guy gave me the most 
hate-filled, raging face. One of the most raging faces I've ever gotten as a working adult. <laughs> and he even stayed for the beginning of the lab where I talked about like magnetism and gravity and whatnot. And then in like the middle of me saying a sentence, he just got up and like shook off all the children around him and just stomped out of the exhibit hall. It was glorious. And we had a fun time. So, I get to work, and I am defending my client who's accused of beating up his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, and I didn't have a leg to stand on. The evidence was really strong against him, and I was talking to one of my coworkers about hypothetically how do I even, what do I even say, or is there any prayer that I can possibly win? And this is a case where there's a couple, they're in their home, my client is accused of tasing his girlfriend, and screaming at her, and calling her names and assaulting her and breaking down a door uh, that she had barricaded herself into because he got really upset and um, beating her up. The police get there while this is going on. There's, there's witnesses, there's recordings of it as well. So what leg do I possibly have to stand on? What can I possibly just say or do to even look useful in a courtroom for an entire day while this parade is going on um, just bringing my client closer to conviction like my coworker says well you know what if it was consensual like consensual <laughs> come on she's screaming on the recording, she calls 911 and locks herself in the bathroom and says, please help me. Oh my God, my boyfriend, and then names her boyfriend, just broke down the door. Oh my God, my boyfriend is tasing me, names her boyfriend again. Oh my God, my boyfriend is, and he says, that's right, bitch, I'm tasing you. And he says, that's right, bitch, I am beating you up. I mean, couldn't have been a better recording and if you had any doubt in your mind what he was doing he was ex he was happy to tell you <sighs> so and then the worst part is that you know this victim so I could have gotten this whole recording suppressed out of court uh, because the victim was not going to be there she wasn't going she didn't want to prosecute this guy um, had it not been that she left her phone on during this whole uh, all the excitement and the police you hear in the recording police open up they kick the door open they run in there they drop from the ceiling and so 
this police officer then identifies that there's nobody else in this apartment other than my client and her. And he then arrests my client and his voice is on the recording. So he's able to authenticate the entire recording, identify the parties who are in the recording. And he's the one who also took photographs of the victim and say, yes, this woman had injuries and they were consistent with being tased. Um, so that was what I was stuck with going with. And my again, my coworker says, you know, it could be consensual. And I had to remind her, there's no way this was consensual. And she says, well, what if they were kinky? And I'm like, you mean like BDSM? She says, yeah. I mean, that's probably the only theory that could possibly work in this case. And I'll give that to you, okay? It's probably the only theory that would work. However, there's no evidence of to support that any kind of relationship like that existed. So we're starting the trial, and who shows up? The victim. The victim decides that she wants to testify uh, the day of trial. And the judge is going to allow her to testify, even though I'd never had an opportunity to speak with her. So he gives me a minute in the hallway with her to do a sworn statement with her to uh, prepare myself for my cross-examination of this poor woman. So I go into the room, and there's, oh my God, all the prosecutors are there. There's three of them. They're all female. There's a victim advocate, a psychologist. There's her, you know, whole support there in that room and I'm the only guy there it's so uncomfortable to ask you know any questions whatsoever so I'm really just trying to buy my client some goodwill in this losing scenario and I say look I'd really like to know more about my client because he hasn't told me a lot about himself and you spent a lot of time with him and you certainly would know him better than than any of us here in this room. And she says, well, you know, he was a good guy. He just got into drugs and alcohol, and and that's really what corrupted him. Other than that, I I really did love him. I thought that he was, I thought that he was a good guy. I said, well, you know, they're, they really want to throw him in jail for a long time, so can you tell me what you think he needs? What do you think would be a good outcome here? What would be justice for you? And she says, well, I really think he needs treatment. He really needs to get some help for his substance abuse. He was, before before he started using, he was a good guy, and he was um, a decent guy, too. And I said, wow, well, how long were you together for? Oh, we were together for about a year. Wow, that's a long time. Uh, can you just tell me about your relationship? You know, did you have any, was there any other abuse throughout your relationship? She said, she kind of got this look on her face. She said, no, there wasn't any abuse. I said, oh, okay. Um, so he, he wouldn't touch you in any way. And she said, well, hold on. I mean, we had a different kind of relationship. So I mean, he would touch me. I'm like, okay, I don't mean, um, of course people touch you. And she said, no, we had that kind of relationship. And I said, what do you mean that kind of relationship? And she said, well, our, our relationship was unique. I said, okay, what do you mean by your relationship was unique? And she says, well, we had a BDSM relationship. And 
a pin could have dropped in the room and you would have heard it. All of the women, if any of the other women in the room did not know what BDSM was, they were looking at each other and searching for an answer about what it was. And um, so I said, okay, well, without missing a beat, did you frequently um, get choked by my client? And she said, yeah, no, he would choke me. I said, okay, and that was consensual? She said, yeah, no, it was consensual. And that was starting to draw some looks from the other attorneys in the room. I said, okay, and would you have a safe word that you would practice to know when a boundary was crossed? And she says, no, we had no safe words. That was not something that we did in our relationship. I said, okay, would he tell you that he was going to kill you during uh, intercourse or any BDSM? And she said, yeah, he would tell me he was going to kill me. And did you like that? I said, yeah, I did like that. Okay, did, um, did he ever tase you though? And she said, no, I swear he never tased me. He would never use that taser and I wouldn't have been okay with that. I said, okay, but... Um, did you have any way of telling him that you would not be okay with something other than a safe word? She said, well, I mean, I could have screamed. Uh, okay, but did you? would you scream when you were being told that he was going to kill you and when he was choking you? She said, yeah, oh, I would scream then, for sure. All right. So we go into the courtroom, and I walk up to my coworkers my co-chair, and I said, you're not going to believe, but we have a BDSM defense. So uh, the jury comes back. They find him guilty. And it didn't help that for the entirety of the trial, my client was sitting down with his hoodie on, with a hood up over his head, sleeping throughout portions of the trial, um, and also laughing throughout portions of the trial when this terrible tape was being played of the victim screaming bloody murder. And I offered this, I had this guy a suit. I had a suit and tie ready for this guy in his size when he showed up to court. But this is what he wanted to do. So at the end of the day, was justice served? Probably. At that same old folks home where I worked uh, when I was in high school, I worked with a lot of crazy characters. And one of the biggest things was people were constantly getting arrested amongst the kitchen staff. It would regularly be a thing of like, where's Chris? Oh, uh, Chris got arrested. His girlfriend called us to tell us he's in jail. He's not going to make it to a shift. Oh, okay. That would be a regular thing, just all the time. And um, one of the interesting things was, was I worked with these two guys, and they were dating for a bit. Um, and then they both, at different times, ended up leaving 
from working in the kitchen. One kind of became a nursing assistant and the other one got another job in another place and they kept dating on and off and they split up. And the weird thing was at different times they both ended up working at the same um, like 7-Eleven. They both worked at the same 7-Eleven in town and I ran into them at different times and these were both former co-workers of mine and I would run into one and say like, oh hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing doing all right. I'm like, oh, how you? I didn't know you were working here. How long have you been working here? And he's like, one of the guys said, oh, you know, I've, uh, I've only been working here for a couple of weeks, but that's just for a few more weeks. I'm like, oh, are you moving? He's like, no, no, no. I gotta go to jail. I'm like, oh my god, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, I was on Quaaludes and I crashed my car into a Payless shoe store. Another time I went into, again, the same exact 7-Eleven and I ran into that guy's ex-boyfriend and I ran into his ex-boyfriend and uh, he's working there and he's like, oh, it's my last day. They're firing me. I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, they said I was sleeping on the job, but I wasn't sleeping on the job. I'm like, oh, weird. He's like, yeah, he came in, my manager came in and saw that my eyes were closed and he said I was sleeping. And I told him I wasn't sleeping. There was a bug that flew into my eye and I was trying to drown it. And he didn't believe me. Thanks everybody for joining us for this episode of Shit Face to Face Quarantine Edition work stories. We really appreciate it. We know that in these trying times, things can be tough, and we appreciate all these stories that make us feel good, make us feel bad, make us feel like, do our managers even understand us? And also be like, what's up with our co-workers? That kind of stuff. Thank you so much to the following people. Devin, Austin, Marisa, Haley, David, Mike, Alex, the girl, Alex the boy, and, of course, for our theme music, Melissa Bellarosa. Be sure to join us next week for another exciting little uh, tidbit, and the following first Monday of the month for another episode of Shit Face to Face. Get ready, because here it comes. I don't think that your foreskin can fall off twice.